Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Sour and Sass. Uh, I'm excited to be with you. I'm joined today by Virginia Lucette, a top SaaS marketer and VP. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm a little nervous. What are you so nervous about? It's not that bad. I'm not scary, am I? I no, it's not you. It's the candy. <laughs> when was the last time you had a piece of sour candy? Decades ago. Like exactly. yeah. So in your like when you were four or something, I got you. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I'm gonna start with one question. I know you're getting excited, so I'm gonna start with a question, and so you get to remember <laughs> notice what it's like to answer with or without candy in your mouth. Okay. So, from what I'm looking at your track record and your resume, you had a lot of experience in content. Did you happen to ever work with an agency when you were doing the content? Yes, um, different times, on and off throughout my career. A lot of times you can't develop everything you need in-house, depending yeah. on how much content you need. So I have worked with agencies prior, um, for sure. One of my struggles with, because I also have outsourced content for my own business, as well as you know, done it for clients in the past. We don't do as much now as we used to. We still do it, but it's because of quality, right? Like, you can do the volume with the agency really well, right? Like we want to do these 250 keywords and then you get 250 pieces of content, you rank, but sometimes the content isn't so good that if people read it, they actually want to hire you. So how did you deal with quality and outsourcing? Like how were you able to keep control? Um, so it kept hitting goals. You know, you also have to have you have to have internal SMEs that are able to support that content. So even if somebody out, outside is developing it for you, you need the eyes from your internal SMEs to make sure that you know they're, they're additive. They're adding in more things that somebody might really be looking for. So they're not having to, your internal SMEs aren't having to lift the whole load, but having them be able to add to it in different places, maybe put some scenarios or some, some you know, some, testimonials within what you're talking about. So there's there's more value in what you get. But then also you have to have somebody internally who owns your voice so well that can take what somebody else does and they can maneuver it to make sure that there is, that it, it matches the value that creates, but it matches what you really want, you know, someone to, to hear you saying. It's, it's super important. So you can always have the, your agency give you stuff, but internally you have to have quality control, 100%. So if I'm gonna, so here's the, so I'm kind of treating this like sales org, right? So you have your SDRs, and though that's your outsourced agency, right? Mm -hmm. You still have the sales ops person. Let's say that's your editor, right? And they're kind of coming in and connecting all the dots. Yeah. And then you have your SMEs, which are like your AEs, and I'm sure SMEs love to complain as much as AEs do about quality. So how do you keep the SMEs engaged and not saying like, screw this agency? I'm like, so that you get to that point of excellence in the relationship where they're not just like tired of this involvement. Do you know what I'm saying? Cause the SMEs, they're usually executives or like they're tough. So how do you get the SMEs on board? Well, I mean, it also de depends on your company, right? So a, a lot of times your SMEs, at least for us, we're field yeah. marketers, right? And those are the people that are in the field that are developing your, you know, developing your relationships in different regions who actively have something to say and who also want to be they they want their voice to to share right they they want people to recognize them so a lot of times it's which smes you're talking to and for us it was field marketers and it was important and they should know what they're talking about 
when you always let them know, like the heavy lifting is not on you. You're the icing on the cake. You're not baking the cake. If you want right. to bake the cake, we'll, we're, we can talk about that. But, <laughs> but if you want to bake the cake, you're in the wrong place. And, and, and just remember, like you're, if you have the complaint about it, then you also have you have the responsibility to own the the to own the results, right? Like um, yeah. So if you want to take on the responsibility, then that's up to you. But work with who you have and just make it better. I love that. I love that. Now, shall we? Oh no. Okay. Thing? Yeah. Let's let's do this. Okay. All right. Um, I'm nervous too. Strawberry. I'm on. Oh my gosh, I did that one too. Is this strawberry grape? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, for some reason the first one's not as sour. So get ready, Virginia. Okay. It's pretty sour, huh? That beginning taste is something. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Now, content's been something that I've seen have been a big part of your career, and that's why. I've got to focus in on this right now. When you were at Procore, mm -hmm. we competed with one of our clients with Procore a lot. And one of the things that we thought was unique was job site. And for everyone listening, can you kind of explain what job site was for Procore and how you decided that or what decisions went into that and kind of how that process came to be? Yeah, it's a great question. So I when I came in with job site, we had content. And we had more long form content and, and that's powerful, but there's only so much time that somebody's going to devote to reading your ebook or your white paper, especially in construction, you need a short form impactful content. And we wanted to boost the thought leadership quote unquote of the company. And so I, I brought in the idea of building a media site for construction. And the reason I didn't name it Procore's blog is because at the time, you're inundated with like grandma's cookie blog and you know how to you know diy your crochet blog right and so i wanted to create the power of feeling like it was an external media site that was developed for construction that provided some value versus having it be brand you know uh, like a specific brand site because people are going to think well you're just going to sell me stuff right so i'm not going to read your content because it's you're always going to try to push something down my throat so the idea of the media media site was brought make it relevant to construction, keep it agnostic so that you can invite other people in, other SMEs. If you had it as Procore, then maybe somebody from Autodesk wouldn't want to talk with you. Or maybe a general contractor who didn't use your technology wouldn't find value in reading your information. So make it, give it a third party name, make it agnostic, but put it also on your domain so that you could gather, you could start building some SEO. And then yeah. look at your pillar topics and start developing content around that. But more than that, you need to drive, you need to give people a reason to come back to your site every day. And one of the things we did is we partnered with the Associated Press and we took the relevant construction articles from around the world and we we um, syndicated them within JobSite, which gave somebody a, a reason every day to come back and read something. So news. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, sorry, this is so clever that you decided, what you essentially said is, I'm going to be the destination of information for my ideal customer persona. Yeah. And instead of me bearing 100% responsibility of content volume, we're going to also syndicate because there's no 
universal hub that they can get this information from outside of us. Is that? It's exactly it. Everything is so, you know, you have to go five different places to get your information. Whereas if you just went to job site, you were going to get your daily news, but then you were going to get your value-based articles on why technology is so important. The latest innovations in construction, the things that we were developing alongside it that we're pulling alongside your daily construction news stories. Okay, so Virginia, there's going to be some people who poo-poo this and they say it only worked because it was in construction. I couldn't do that in DevOps. I couldn't do that in marketing. I couldn't do that in sales. Are they full of it? Are they right? Like, do you, how much of it was because it was construction and you're in the blue collar construction space? And how much was it because it was executed well? And I've seen it, by the way. It was executed very well and it was done right. How much was the execution? And how much was the industry in your mind? Well, it's funny. I, I think it was more execution. And the reason why is because when I brought it to the table, people said, construction won't read that. <laughs> construction won't do that. And yep. everyone thought construction was boring. They didn't think it was fun or innovative or even just somewhat like cool, right? You can, when you create a good brand and you put good content in front of people, you it, they'll come, right? I mean, you've got to do some distribution strategies. You've got to get it in front of people. but Surely there's more exciting industries than construction, although construction is really cool. I absolutely really love it, right? Yeah. So I don't want to say that it's boring, but it, it's funny that, you know, the first people to say something won't work are the people that haven't just tried. And and with everything, like me, having sour candy on this, <laughs> on this thing, you've got to yeah. just try it, start small, and then see if what you're doing is resonating and build from there, which is exactly what we did. I mean, JobSite didn't start huge. It started yeah. with, okay, we're gonna at least post once a day a relevant article, create a, create a strategy around it. And yeah. then we decided to pull in more and we had the annual, annual construction index, which was a huge idea to try to give people a baseline of the financials around construction to give them more of a reason to find value in what you do. And yeah. you, know, you test it, didn't work out in the end, but we tested it, it drove traffic for a while, and then it fizzled out, but that's okay, we learned. Yeah. Well, not everything has to drive traffic, and I think that's an important part of content that I, I not enough people talk about. So I thought one of the things, so because I also looked at HammerTech and you had the one, you, you try to almost re recreate job site with one at HammerTech, correct? To a certain extent? Yeah, so we did one degree. One, I don't feel like was the same as job site when I'm no. looking at it and being like job site was just like sex, right? This is like the execution of the data you had in there, how dynamic it was, the creative. What was the difference between job site and one in retrospect as the former VP? I guess you can say this now. What was the, what was the difference? I'm just looking at it in preparation and I'm like, okay, I see we're trying a similar strategy, but it's not the same. So what was the difference between, and what would you recommend to someone who wants to do this? What did you learn in both scenarios? And right. how can someone like learn from your experience there? Well, you're talking about two different facets of construction, right? Project management in Procore at the time, um, it, it's a it's a larger facet, right? Safety in construction in the US is a little bit more demure, it's a little bit more muted, and it's finding its place. Um, safety in construction is kind of thought of like the, the, the uncool hall monitor who busts you every time you're running, like you got to go to the bathroom <laughs> and somebody's yep, like, no, yep, you need yep. to pass. And you're like, oh, <laughs> so yep. 
there's a difference in who you're talking to, right? The project manager, that's the cool kid on your construction site. Your safety manager, they're not thought of that way. And so you're talking to different people. That's important. I'm going to say two. I'm just going to say budget. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I had more budget. They're the big boy. They're they're the they're the big dog on campus, and right, big dogs get big budgets sometimes. They do. What's the hardest part about having a smaller budget? And then, is there a way to get to the point of big budget, or you just need yeah. to leave that term? Like you know, what I'm saying. So if someone's here and they're just like, if only I could do this, do you think you can ever get to that moment where you have no budget or minimal budget to big budget, or is the writing on the walls for people? And they should be wise. Like, what's the real what's the real talk on that? Well, to be honest, HammerTech had zero budget. I was begging for dollars in the beginning to just get HubSpot, the lowest level marketing automation that, that we could get. I begged yes. for that. We had no dollars. In fact, one of our founders was about to hand me his credit card and just put it on his <laughs> take it out of his own bank account. So oh my god. Okay. So, we didn't have dollars. I started one degree with no money because you need to start somewhere, right? Yeah, once you have, once you attribute everything correctly, you tag things and you move it through and you use an attribution system, whether it's your own, you know, Excel sheet or you're using a, a great system like Caliber Mine or Visible or something like that, right? Once you're able to show the value of throughout the customer's journey of these touch points, you can yep. start to ask for more budget based on what you're out, what you're allowing from first touch people who would never have you known you before, who yep. act, who can act, who have actually become realized revenue. Once you can measure yourself and show your data, you're better. You have a better chance of asking for more budget and making that. sure you're fiscally responsible with it. No, I love that starting point. I I literally make the same recommendation all the time. Right, we go to a client, and they want to spend you know ad spend from twenty grand to one hundred fifty thousand but then they don't have offline conversion tracking or they don't. And so they don't have any of the necessary things to le leverage smart bidding or even do like feedback loops on campaigns to know what's working or not. They're right. not ready to scale. So I think that's a, a really good point. Now you did something also really cool that I was always a fan of. I've been like fanboying on you for like years. It's kind of funny was data in the sense of like, I love this idea of functional content where we take information that our product or business has that no other companies have, or at least aren't using, and we bring that into our content so we can say things others can't say and drive values others can't drive. Mm -hmm. How can we as marketers do a better job of getting data from our product or from our company and into our marketing? What was that process like for you? What what roles did you have in place? Like, How did you navigate that and how did you pull it off? Well, at Procore, I have to be honest, I had a really brilliant leader and he understood the value of data and how important it is to construction, probably before anybody else did. And so the mentorship, and so you've got to find a champion within your business who understands the power of data and what it can do for somebody. And it can be transformative for a business. It's definitely transformative for construction, right? And what if your company is able to gather a lot of data and you're able to anonymize it. And you're, I mean, you probably have to talk to your CTO and make sure that they feel comfortable. And then you're gonna have to talk to a number of other stakeholders who will, can help the partners feel that, you know, that your customers feel like, oh, you're because they're gonna say, are you using our data? It's anonymized. We're not talking, we're not saying this data X came from this person. 
you've got to have those internal stakeholders who are willing to champion it with you. But yeah. once you're able to pull significant data, and you have to have a, a good amount of data, you're able to anonymize it and start creating some baselines that are of value for whomever your customer is. And I'll just use, I'll use the customer um, from HammerTech, which is your safety managers, your project managers, your VP of operations. Being able to pull through these thousands of data points that you're able to gather within your system, potentially anonymize them, and then create some sort of, I won't call it an ROI calculator, but it is a baseline calculator that you can measure yourself against, depending on what it is, who your customer is, and what they're interested in. It's extremely important because you're actually showing them what kind of gaps they have, right? And you're helping them understand where they live in the in the ecosystem of performance and excellence, right? Are you below the mark or are you above the mark compared to your compared to you know companies your size, your competitors, right? Without having to say, you know, this competitor X and competitor Y, you generalize and then you can say, okay, based on companies our size, they're doing X, Y, and Z, and we're not. Where's our gaps and how can we either get to the level or exceed? The moment you start providing value to customers in that way, which every every organization wants, how do we get better? How do we perform better? How do we become more productive? If you can take that data and put it into some sort of living calculator that people can check in with every quarter, I mean, that's you've provided something of value to individuals that or to companies that most people don't. And that, that's a win. That's exactly why somebody might want to come to you because you obviously know what you're doing. I love that. And there's two use cases I totally see for that. One is it helps build link, like your links naturally because data type content is just naturally a link building asset that you don't get in other areas. And it's also really good for like top of funnel conversions where you want someone who isn't ready for purchase intent, but it's more at the exploratory intent where you can give them something of value that doesn't actually take their time. And it's like a good transaction right at the top of the funnel that kind of pushes them to middle to bottom purchase intent. Not only that, it's going to be about them. Because if it's done right, right, it's all about what's, you know, why people love quizzes about themselves and personality tests. We all like why I read my horoscope every day. I want to know more about me, right? Tell me more about me and tell me how I, how good I am or how, well, most people want to say, how good am I, am I compared to other people? And then when the reality comes in, they're like, ooh, <laughs> I don't want to share this. But what a great lead magnet, right? Be, to to yeah. be able to bring people in, give them something about themselves, and then say, hey, if you want to learn more about how you can incrementally improve or blow out your competitors, here's what you can do. You can put them, from here, you can put them into an educational course that nurtures them through, that provides tremendous value. All the while, you've got your, you know, your SDRs, your AEs checking in to be consultants yep. on, this, yep. on this journey that they're on versus having it be a sales journey. It's a value-based journey all about you and how somebody can can um, become better when utilizing your services or your, your software. I love that. I mean, if you look at HubSpot, their marketing grader was a big part of their journey. If you look at WordStream, mm -hmm. their Google Ads grader was a big part of their journey. Exactly. And you're right, it transitions from selling us to selling your reality, right? And a value sell and consultive. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going great. Good. I'm good. I'm so or glad. Okay. Maybe it's not great. <laughs> I'm doing scary line. Okay, let's see. Now, sour, more sour the second time, right? I try to tell you. It's like the first one's a primer, and then the second one just comes right at you. 
Oh yeah, it's terrible. Totally terrible. Um <laughs> my God. You had a very interesting career journey in the sense that you went from like being an editor and a writer to being a director to being a VP. Now, what was the biggest jump for you going from being an individual contributor to being a director? And what was that experience like? Like, what, what do you wish you tell everyone listening that they need to do now so that they're ready for that moment that you wish you would have known? Focus entirely on your soft skills. Oh, my Where God. Thank you. That's all I say all day. I love it. Okay. Break that down for us. <laughs> I made so many leadership mistakes transitioning from an independent con contributor to a director to a VP. Um, a lot of my journey has been really like has been focused on knowing what you're doing, you know, developing your skills, right. And being an amazing executor. That is super important as an independent contributor. But the moment you take on team players, you need, you become a motivator, a mentor, an educator. Um, you have to share, you have to be amazing at the communications to share your ideas and strategies. But your job goes from being the lead to being absolutely behind everyone else. Um, and, and that's the thing. I mean, I was in the military for a short stint. And you think about everybody in the front, right? The front, the people who are running, who are the best runners. But at any time, your captains, your, your, your actual leaders, they're the ones in the back and making sure that there's no stragglers. And who's ever back there, it's, it's you know getting underneath them and supporting them through, making sure they finish the run or whatever task they're doing. For me, the biggest mistake I made was I ran at the, the front of the pack thinking that that's leadership. And I learned that leadership is actually being in the back of the pack and motivating your team forward and whoever's struggling, make sure you put an arm around them and support them all the way through. And, and that's huge. And also I think a lot of the, the mistakes other people make, and I know I did it, there's a control issue. When you're an independent contributor, you control the outcome and, and, and how you do it. When you become a director and a VP, you no longer control that. You you have to give to, you've got to give control to whomever you've tasked with that and trusted that they can do it and then allow them to do it. And it's really just focused on the outcome and helping them along the way. So those were the, I mean, those were the biggest mistakes and what I would say to anybody, you know, those are the things you need to learn the soft skills. I, I was saying in Virginia, that's like, you can tell someone what to do, but you can't tell them what to do and how to do it. And because you, you take away all the upside, right? So I have this concept of how to try to manage to upside instead of manage to downside. So a lot of people, when they manage, they manage to cover their butt, not to exceed expectations. So going from being a director where there's someone above you covering your butt to being a VP, where now you're managing up. What was the biggest difference between managing up to someone in your department to managing up to someone not in your department? In other words, as a VP, a lot of times if there's no CMO, you're managing up to a, an executive yeah. and she doesn't come from marketing. Right. Compared to when you're a director and you're managing up to a VP of marketing, you two are talking the same language. They got your back. It's a little different. 
So what was that game like for you managing up, right? Because you talked about managing down. What was the differences for you managing up? That is that is such a super skill that I would say anybody needs to learn because yeah. communication, openness, and being a uh, being a helpful educator, not being a finger pointer, not pretending like you know, like you know it all. You've got to met because I mean, let's talk. You know, C suite. They whether it's your COO, your CTO, your CFO, and your CEO. They don't understand what you're doing, but they like outcomes and you need to speak their language. So you're learning the different language. At the same time, you've got to educate without being pedantic, making them feel like also like they're in school because they don't want to hear it. They got to that level, not by you telling them what to do. Right. So it is there's definitely that shift of managing up. And a lot of times it just comes down to developing the relation, the personal relationships, understanding what their expectations of you are and how the outcomes that you present will match those expectations and speaking to the expectations and outcomes. Always, this is what we're doing. This is this is the goal we had in mind. These are the OKRs for the company. These are how these, this is how the, the strategy and tactics line up to the OKRs and then constantly giving them, um, having communication and feedback. Make sure you're setting up meetings, 30 minutes, once a month, if not more, depending on how close you are with 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 anybody that you're that you're talking to outside of your vertical in the company, make sure you have meetings with them. Even if it's just to catch up and say, "Hey, how you doing? How are your kids? What's happening?" Right? Because once you start developing those relationships, you develop trust, and then always going back to what are the OKRs and how is our strategy matching that. And if they don't understand, it's breaking it down in a simple way that doesn't make them feel like they're dumb. <laughs> Love that, Virginia. The reason I'm asking these questions, I can tell it's a gift of yours that you've developed, and I think you take a lot of pride in, which is wise of you. Um, and I think it's obviously been a big driver of your career. So, going into this next opportunity that you're going to, right, from Hammer Tech to your next organization, can you maybe break down for the audience what your thought is of how you're going to build rapport with that executive group in a pandemic when it's all digital? So. Like, what's your strategy from a, how you're going to build influence in the organization as the newcomer when you don't get that physical touch? Like, what, what in your mind, how, how do you plan on going about that? It's it's like dating, right? Okay. All right. okay. Yeah. You're not going to have, you're not going to, if you want to really get to know somebody you want to date, it's not just going to be one conversation, right? It's going to be constantly, hey, let's let's go get a coffee. Maybe let's get lunch. Not, we can do these things virtually. It's going out of your way to make time to have meaningful conversations. Okay. First, we have to be human, right? It can't all be about, you know, the X, Y's and Z's, or the X's and O's of marketing and revenue and everything else. First, you've got to get to know people. And that's that human to human relationship is first. And that means putting time in their calendars. Five minutes, let's catch up for coffee. And going around the entire organization, top to bottom, not just your C-suite, talk to the people who are on the phones, talk to your, get, getting good with your SDRs and your AEs. That is so, so important. Develop those trustful relationships. And again, find out about them, their kids, their birthdays, their, you know, anniversaries, what they really want to do. What, what was their goal as a kid? What's the funniest experience they have ever had? Yeah. You know, be very human. That is the most important thing. And I think I've made that mistake in the past of not doing it. 
that's exactly what I want to take forward because once you have relationships like that, like um, the co-founders, two of the co-founders from HammerTech, um, Brad and Andy, they're two yeah. of my favorite people in the world. Having moved on, I'm still in contact with them. Um, you know, one of them I, I, I can see. Now you have great references, right? For your next job opportunity. Not only great references, but even throughout this, like, you know, on every adventure, I, I, I WhatsApp them and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. What are your thoughts? The advice going back and forth in the mentorship, th that is exactly what I'd like to replicate throughout the rest of my career, even with the people that, the, the team that worked with underneath me. I'm yeah. talking to them. I'm, if they have a need, need advice for their career, I'm there. And, and replicating that across the entire organization, that's so, so important. It also makes just for a better day, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and Virginia, for everybody listening to, I think one of the most critical parts that a lot of people don't understand as they move through their career, and I'm starting to learn myself, is the importance of your network in the recruiting process, too. In other words, when a firm's recruiting a new executive, one of the most wise questions you can ask in an interview is, awesome, and who, will you, who are you going to bring with you so that you can implement your culture and your recommendations and integrate with our team? And a lot of times people don't think about that. They don't think about what the true value of an executive is, is also the team they build. And your ability to build a great team is heightened if you can take great members from previous experiences with you. Right. What's your... What's your advice for everybody as we close out today of what they could do a little different to get themselves to the next spot in their career? You've done a really good job navigating yours from what I've seen. What what could what would be your piece of advice for everyone listening who say they want to get to that next spot? Like what's one thing that they just did every day, you know, moving forward that could really accelerate their their career? Meditate. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I like that. Hot take. I love it. You know, Here's the here's what I've learned: the importance of gratefulness, meditation, openness, and humility. I haven't always been that. I haven't always done that. But and 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 why I say meditate is because we are so reactionary, right? You get an email and maybe it's not what you like, and you want to react to it. Put your fingers. You want to go. <laughs> you want to prove you're right. Allowing meditation allows you to center and <laughs> and pause, right? And to, to get to the bottom of what's really, what are you really trying to do? What's the problem you're really trying to solve? And does it matter if we get there from the, the you know, from A or from C or from Z? It, you know, is it ego in your way or is it, are you really trying to solve the problem together and be open and humble that maybe you don't have the solution? So I would say I, to everybody, meditate every day. It's going to change your perspective. It'll help you grow professionally, I love it. personally. <laughs> do you have an app, Virginia? Do you have an app you like for that? Do you just do it on your own? I, you use, have a... I use the Calm app. Okay. I love that. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Virginia. This has been an amazing show. If people want to follow you on your journey and where you go next, how can, how can they do that? Uh, LinkedIn. So Virginia said on LinkedIn, I believe it's Virginia Shree Lucette or Virginia Lucette. I should know that. That's horrible. <laughs> No, I love it. We got it on the screen. So anybody who's here, uh, you can follow Virginia on LinkedIn. And thank you so much. That's Sour and Sass, everyone. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye.